Okay, so it's a, it's a, a great pleasure to have uh, Giuseppe Bianchi here with us for the summer, actually, here until the end of August, if you, you want to talk to him. Giuseppe is quite famous in the wireless network commuting community for uh, the, the first model, first accurate throughput model for uh, Wi-Fi networks, uh, the 2.11 wireless networks that, that we use in our, on our laptops and so on. But, of course, but since, that was a good while back, actually, and since he's been really busy doing lots of other things, including uh, lots of work on security and privacy, and uh, which is for another day, and uh, some work on peer-to-peer -peer system that he's going to tell us about today. So uh, thank you, Seppi. Okay, it's great so having you here. Thanks a lot uh, for the invitation, actually, to DAG, and uh, of course to all of you. It's a pleasure to see that even in uh, mid of August, many people are here. Actually, that would not be the case in Italy. And uh, uh, before uh, entering into the talk, uh, just uh, I mean, I prepared a slide just to just to understand what I do actually. So if you have uh, some curiosity on on other things, uh, those are my competencies area or what I like to do or what I'm forced to do actually. As uh, Doug said, uh, I basically work quite a lot on wireless networks. And uh, basically, uh, there are three big topics that I'm dealing with. One is uh, wireless line modeling, uh, which I'm quite tired of because, of course, it was <laughs> my first, uh, you know, 2000 work, and uh, and I'm quite tired to do it. But anyway, it's it's always fun. Then, uh, actually, there is a project that we are running with uh, with Nuim, which is on a programmable uh, network, wireless network cards, uh, which is uh, very interesting. Uh, but I decided not to talk about that today because it's a little bit too software oriented. So I think that. Uh, that here for the audience, I wanted to find something that is uh, nicer. Nicer means uh, with some mathematics, with some uh, nicer insights. Of course, from a practical point of view, that's an interesting, very interesting point. Then opportunistic networks, uh, I work also. And this is basically the area of wireless. Then I work also on stream analysis, uh, but actually I, did, I decided not to talk about that because uh, here we are actually developing with, the, with Doug and Ken some work and we will present this work on August 23. So basically the idea was not to duplicate the presentation today and on August 2023. Then as uh, Doug said, I work quite a lot uh, on privacy because uh, actually privacy is, very, is a very strong topic in the European Commission. Uh, uh, it's a real problem. <laughs> And uh, there, uh, I wanted to talk about that today, but unfortunately, I think that uh, those topics are a little bit too technical. That is, when you enter into things like identity or attribute-based encryption, that is the things that I do, you require quite a lot of background, which is, which is annoying, and uh, I think that uh, it would be of interest only for a narrow group of people. And instead, of course, uh, let's say horizontal to that, uh, I'm very much interested in everything that relates to per performance modeling. That is everything that requires a model to model the performance, then of course it's part of my historical interest. And why I selected this talk? Actually, this talk is not a very fresh one because I basically developed this work around the three years between 2008 and 2010. But I think that uh, in this, this work, first of all, is nice uh, because it has some nice uh, implications and some nice lessons that I would like to share with you. And then, uh, because I think that also from a mathematical point of view, I mean, uh, whenever Fibonacci series, as we will see, uh, come out into play, for me it's always fun to find Fibonacci series in uh, Mother Nature. And that's why I decided to talk about that, even if it's not, let's say, the fresh work of today that I'm doing. <coughs> of course, uh, Feel free to interrupt me whenever you want. Uh, actually, I have some side uh, comments uh, over the presentation that I will do it uh, as, as the presentation evolves. Uh, because I think that, as I said, there are some interesting side lessons that we learned from uh, this kind of work. 
Basically, what is uh, the problem that we are tackling today? The problem is basically try to model the delay of peer-to-peer uh, peer -peer, peer -peer streaming systems. But actually, <coughs> there is a quite interesting point here. The word chunk base means uh, quite a lot, and I will tell you a little bit more about that. Uh, the talk will be organized as follows. We start by giving a very brief introduction of what peer-to-peer -peer streaming is, but I think that everybody knows that. Then motivation and goals, why we needed to find out this kind of uh, study, why, why this study was justified. And then we will have some uh, mathematical points that we need to enter into a little bit more details, like, for instance, demonstrate what are the bounds that are coming out and see what are the associated problems. And then, of course, uh, what we actually did this work for is that we didn't want to develop a bound just for our fun. But actually, the real problem that we had at that time of the work was that we were developing an actual peer-to-peer -peer streaming system. And we wanted to develop it by using some more sound Basis. And actually, this is where the problem came from, and I will enter into one minute into that. First of all, to briefly remind what peer-to-peer -peer streaming is. As you know, uh, you have uh, the traditional way to deliver streaming video is that you have a server, everybody connects to that server, and of course, while you are capturing real-time images, then you develop through a dedicated channel to a million, possibly 10 millions of uh, people. But actually, this kind of delivery model is impaired by the fact that you need to put very high capacity servers, you need to have a very high bandwidth, and so on. So basically, around the mid of the 2000, uh, of the last decade, emerged the idea of trying to use peer-to-peer -peer also for doing streaming of information. Here, the idea is that if you take a server that generates some video, for instance, it's recording some video, instead of connecting all the interested ones to the same server, you basically distribute this information to peers and you connect to other peers, basically coming up with an overlay network in which you get streaming information, not directly from the server, but from many peers distributed in the network. Of course, this scales quite a lot because everybody with his own small connectivity to the internet can, can provide extra resources for free. And actually, we can show easily later on that the fact that peer-to-peer -peer is uh, very huge does not impair the delay because we will see that results in terms of uh, the delay of the distribution of the video information is very small and can, can be actually contained in uh, less than, uh, than a few seconds. So basically permitting near real-time uh, delivery of this information. Actually, there was uh, a huge amount of uh, <coughs> systems that uh, around 2005 and then came out in practice to do peer-to-peer -peer streamings. Here, those are obsolete references because they are limited to 2008, but you can see that even at that time, the numbers were quite impressive. Because, for instance, we have cases of several million users which were connecting to the same video stream. Actually, I remember that I was in a conference in 2007 and I needed to see the football match for, from, from Italy in a, you know, there was, Italy was playing and I was attending the conference, so I basically connected to a Chinese peer-to-peer -peer system and I could see it in real time. So, you know, that, those numbers tell you that peer-to-peer -peer streaming is today a reality and it's very, very scalable because uh, you see that those number, million of users, it's very easily attained. But <coughs> we have a few things. As I, as I mentioned, 
We started this work from the idea, not, it was not my, my work, but there were some colleagues in my university that wanted to develop an actual peer-to-peer -peer streaming systems. And the first thing to face were some technical implementation alternatives. If you see the literature, there is a plenty of papers that describe you alternative systems. And uh, for instance, uh, they vary in terms of which kind of topology you're using. For instance, uh, do you prefer to have trees to maintain or you prefer to have a mesh that is every peer connects to other peer to a full mesh uh, the system or you want to deploy real trees. But actually those things of course are related, I mean they come with a very good performance but also at the price of maintaining those trees. And we see that later on we will discuss churn is a problem, that is when a peer disconnects of course you need to reconfigure the tree. Other systems were based on local decision, actually more random. For instance, uh, the data selection, the, the distribution of content was data oriented and was based either on push, that is I get some data, I have some neighbors around, which are neighbors means uh, of course topologically speaking but they can be very far away peer community to me and I can push this content to them hoping that this content will be of interest for them or I can ask. So pool systems where I can ask for chunks of information to get. And basically there are many alternatives here, hybrid system that basically use a combination of and so on. What, uh, and this is the first comment that I want to do. What I was actually a little bit surprised at the time was that uh, I couldn't find, uh, when I was involved in this work, uh, the first thing that I wanted to understand is, okay, but if I need to develop a system like that, what are the principles that I need to follow in order to come out with the most effective system? Ideally, in the research work, what you have is that you have some theoretical background that tells you what you ideally should do, and then you have a practical system that tries to put the theoretical laws into practice, of course, with approximation and so on. So the first thing that I was trying to look for was some theoretical background that suggested us how best to develop a system that, of course, in practice would have been approximated. And what I found out at the time is that despite the huge amount of literature, there was not a clear answer to my question. That is, what is the best system that I can develop? Actually, there was uh, several confusion and uh, I want to explain where the confusion comes from in this uh, second part of the talk. So, <coughs> basically what we did was, uh, with in mind the practical application of the system, the first thing that we wanted to do is, let's find some theoretical principle that govern us the system, so let's try to understand what we should do and then let's move this theory into practice. Since this theory was not developed, we needed to develop our own. That's basically the point of <laughs> the reason that behind this talk. Now, of course, what you want to do in a system for streaming, you want to reach the maximum amount of users in the smallest amount of time. In peer-to-peer, -peer, you are not concerned by delay because, of course, uh, you can get information uh, even if it's, uh, I mean, if you take an information from a peer-to-peer -peer network, that can be stored by, by ages there. But in a streaming system, delay is the first concern. That is, you want to get the information. The information needs to be captured by the server, but then must be distributed in very short time. Actually, what you want to have is that you want to minimize the delay. So our problem was, uh, from a theoretical point of view, what is the minimum delay that we can achieve in a large-scale system for peer-to-peer -peer streaming? And here, the big problem was the word chunk base, which is here underlined. And I will explain that here is the trick that changes the problem at end. Now, 
From one side, this looks to be, if you ignore the word chunk base, this looks to be a very easy problem to solve and very well-known problem. So if you forget the chunk, then this is the traditional multicast problem in which what you want to do is that you want to minimize the path delay. So the idea is I need to distribute information over some graph. This graph is a multicast tree or a multicast graph. And basically what I need to do is that I need to minimize the delay in which this information goes to the other players. <coughs> How can I do it? For instance, I can do as follows. That is, if I were going to ignore the chunk part that I will get back later on because it's the most essential part of the talk, what I could do is that I have a source, I construct some distribution tree. Of course, remember that the source transmits from his own computer and it's uh, then uh, it, it, we don't have routers in the network because in the peer-to-peer -peer, every source every peer needs to directly address another router so if i need to send the same information to two other nodes i need to locally replicate the information and send the information to one and to the other and of course in order to do that if uh, the rate at which i get the information is there i need to have a bandwidth for instance equal to the double of that in order to replicate the information and to send it so the idea is that assume that i am the source assume that i have a bandwidth which is the double as an example of the bandwidth of the rate of the string that i want to distribute what i do is that i replicate this stream into two parts one i send to one node and one i send to the other node now, this node can do the same. It receives from myself the information at the rate R. It duplicates the information and it addresses other two peers and so on. And you get the original traditional tree. Now, of course, <coughs> if you have a metric that tells you what are the delays over those links on the queuing delay, then you can make some optimization problem. If you are actually assuming that the delay is the same for each op, so homogeneous delay, then of course your goal is how to minimize the depth of this tree. All those things are very well known and very clarified. Indeed, for instance, this example is a very poor example of performance. If you were really needed to distribute a stream like that, you would get very poor performance because you would have uh, logarithmic uh, uh, performance with respect to n, but you can do much better, for instance. And uh, if you did not have the chunk into play, what you could do is the following. Basically, you can reduce any network to a two-hope network by doing the following. You get a source, you take the stream, the stream arrives at a rate equal to r, you split the stream into, for example, six substreams. So you have a stream of size R, so bit per second. You divide it into six substreams, and you send every substream to one different node. So the idea is that as a source, I divide my stream into small substreams. Every node gets the small part of the substream, and it replies this substream to the remaining nodes. So I have six nodes. What I do is that the first stage, I split the stream into six nodes. Everybody receives one-sixth of the information. Now, node one replicates this information to the remaining five nodes. What kind of bandwidth do you need to have here? Here, of course, at the beginning, since you are not duplicating information, you need just to have the amount of bandwidth needed to carry the stream. So not the double as before, but a simple bandwidth, like, like the amount of stream. What is the bandwidth that every node has to have? Of course, again, it's bounded by the rate of the stream. So you don't have any requirement on the bandwidth besides the fact that it must be 
greater or equal than the stream rate. And what you get is that if you are node 6, what you get is that you get one sixth of the stream from the direct source and the remaining five sixths from the remaining nodes. And basically this tells you that you can actually minimize the depth of the tree to two. And this is a very well-known result and very well solved. So if this is already well established, why we needed to bother and try what's wrong here, basically? Nothing from a point of view of uh, the theory. But unfortunately, <coughs> the practice is different. The practice is that you cannot, in practical system, divide the stream in arbitrary pieces of information. But what the real system do is that they aggregate some information into what they call chunks. A chunk typically is not an IP packet, but is a much higher amount of information. For instance, I take as a reference cool streaming, which is one practical developed system, and the chunk size there is 500 kilobytes. So it's, <coughs> it's not one IP packet, but it's much larger. Larger. You cannot divide this chunk because this chunk is an, is an, atomic, uh, is an atomic quantity of information. So now, what happens if you introduce into that picture the concept of chunk? The point is that the optimization problem comes out to be radically different. And that's what, what was a surprise to me when we started looking at this problem. Because actually this was not very clear, this was not clearly written anywhere. And actually this was the important part that was affecting the delay of the system. Let's in fact see why if you take chunks into the picture, this is not anymore a delay optimization problem, so a cost optimization problem in a tree. Let's do this example. I'm a source. First of all, what I do as a source, I have some times in which I receive some information, so for instance one chunk. Then at the end of this information, then I start to receiving the next information. What I need to do is that since the information gets generated, I need to deliver my chunk that I received in the time that it's allotted to me. So before the next chunk arrives. When the next chunk arrives, I need to deliver the next chunk. So basically, if I'm there, for sure I need to have as a bandwidth, if I have a chunk size of a given size, a bandwidth which is greater than the, the, the rate at which I've arrived. Assume for convenience that I have a bandwidth which is the double of the stream. Now, the first thing that I can do is that I can take this chunk and I can duplicate it and parallel deliver to two nodes, as I said before. But <coughs> the first uh, things that tells uh, this uh, curve is that basically, before I said that bandwidth didn't matter, as long as it was equal to the tree, but in practice, when you consider chunk, bandwidth comes back into play, because now you need to actually copy some information. You cannot simply break it. And then, of course, this is something that you need to take into account of. And this is the first point. Then the second point is, <coughs> you don't have a per hop delay, because actually what you have is that the bandwidth over those two links are not independent, as you would think to a tree. In a tree, you want to minimize the delay, you say, okay, I have a delay from node N1 to N5 and a delay from N1 to N4. But actually, the big point in peer-to-peer -peer streaming is that those links are shared in this point. So basically, what you decide to do here affects the delay. For instance, assume, before I said, I'm transferring in parallel. Assume that now I transfer the same chunk serially, first to this guy and then to this guy. Now, the delay comes out to be different because the delay in the link from N1 to N4 is equal to the transmission time of a chunk, 
but the delay to this other guy is equal to the transmission time of the second chunk plus the waiting time of the first one. So basically, I cannot anymore attribute a fixed delay to a link, but the delay is a result of the scheduling decision that I take. And this complicates the problem, as you understand. That is, I cannot consider those two independent, but I need to make a formal treatment in which those two delays are actually modeled together. <coughs> and then, of course, I already anticipated that you cannot simply reduce delay as the propagation delay and the transmission time of the chunk delay. Because, for instance, in this link, what you have is that you have also the time needed to first fulfill the transmission of this link. So you have extra sources of delay, which are not only propagation and transmission time, but depend on the actual scheduling policy that you are enforcing. And those things make the problem very different from what I said before. <coughs> what is uh, our contribution? Our contribution in this field was, we found that there was, unfortunately, surprisingly for us, no literature that was really understanding what was going on in a chunk-based system. And so we basically tried to clarify what is the minimum delay that you can get if you consider those supplementary conditions into account. So basically, you consider chunk-based transmission, and we found out what is the best possible delay that you can get. We came out with actually some delay derivation, so we derived a bound result, so a lower bound for the delay, and we actually showed that this delay is attainable. That is, you can construct an ideal system that reaches that delay. But actually, of course, here it was just theory. Then what we did was we took those theoretical principles and we developed a system, a practical system, that uses this time in a learned way the findings that we, find, that we found up, up in this part in order to build a system that was not just driven by heuristic, but was driven by, let's say, some more sound theoretical foundations. And that's what I briefly talk about in this talk. Okay. So far, uh, if there are no questions, or, I mean, everything is clear, I'm going too fast, uh, too slow. The important thing is that you grasped what is the problem. So I repeat, the big problem here to understand is that when we focus over a system in which we have discrete amount of information, which is self-consistent, anatomic, we cannot split it, to transmit, then we have a different problem in which it seems that our original machinery for optimization of delays in the network does not work anymore, and we need to find out what happens and how to modify those uh, theories. The last one question, same as is your solution going to heavily depend on the chunk size? Because, of course, the, the, the idea of the other thing is that as the chunk becomes small, right, right. it's effectively separation. And these chunks, even if they're 500 kilobytes or something, they're not huge in comparison to like fiber or, you know, it's a yeah. No, no, that's a good question. Actually, the question is, the solution depends on the chunk size. We will see that actually we will ignore anything else than the chunk size. So basically our solution, we will assume that we won't have any extra delay sources because of course that can be well-known model that we know already propagation delay. But what we do is that we assume that based on the chunk size, the transmission time of the chunk is the dominating factor. Now, in practice, 
what you can do is that either you reduce the chunk size to the very small IP packets, but that has a practical consequence. So the question is very good. That is, in order to overcome the problem of having large chunk size, you can use small IP packets and then manage them. But let's go now to the practical implementation of the systems. If you look at those systems, if you build the topology, then you build some connections in which you can actually deliver IP packets. But if you want to work on a data-oriented network, for instance, push and pull, what do they mean? They mean I need to give you a piece of data or I need to ask for you a piece of data. This is signaling that requires me to address a unit of data. In order to eff efficiently deliver those systems, I cannot ask for every 1,500 bytes, 1,500 bytes a chunk. But what I want to do is that I want to use bigger chunks. So the idea is that, in practice, we like to use bigger chunks because it reduces a lot the burden of signaling in those real-world systems which, in which actually we have to ask or to pull those information. So from one point of view, small chunks, that is IP packets, are very effective, but we need to maintain connect connections. But as we see, we want to avoid connect maintaining connection because of the channel in the network. That basically, if I create a connection between me and Doug going through this computer, when this computer switch off, I need to reconfigure that connection. And so the idea is that most of the practical systems try to get rid of that by working on a data-oriented fashion. But data-oriented means that in order to be effective, to avoid signaling, you need to have larger chunks. So that's where the motivation comes from. <coughs> So feel free to do questions that uh, I'm here, I can stop whenever uh, you are tired. So, <laughs> so let's see, first of all, uh, can we come out with a bound or not? Of course, uh, yes. And uh, instead of giving you a theorem with uh, the proof, I prefer to go, to go intuitively as my habit. That is then, uh, you can trust me, you can read the uh, documentation in which we prove all what we see, what we say. But let's say first, uh, how can we grasp easily this, uh, this problem? First of all, the problem of delay is not so elementary to treat because what is the minimum delay requires that I set a network size. For instance, if I have a million nodes, then of course the delay is something. If I have a 10 million nodes, then the delay of course must be for sure higher. So basically setting a problem in which we put as an objective of the model, the delay is not so easy. But we can come out with a complementary metric, which is actually a very basic diffusion metric, in which what uh, we call it stream diffusion metric, and we model it as follows, we define it as follows. This is the number of nodes that receive some chunks in a given amount of time. So the idea is that I get a chunk at time zero, I am the source, I start pushing my chunk around. At as the time evolves, the number of nodes that will receive this chunk will increase with the time. So basically, this metric depends on how much time I give to a chunk to propagate, and the metric is how many nodes versus the time I can reach using my chunk. So you see, this, of course, is a metric that you can apply to an infinite size network, so it's not a problem. It doesn't fix a priori what is the size of the network. It's a purely diffusion rate, basically, which is function of time. And what we want to do is that we want to find the asymptotics of this kind of diffusion rate. That is, what is the speed of distribution that we can reach? If we get that, of course, you can see that the 
maximization of the diffusion rate minimizes also the delay for a given network size. That is basically what you can do is that you can, if you have a size of 1 million nodes, what you know is that what is the maximum diffusion rate that permits you to reach 1 million nodes? You get the number and you know that the number will be the delay of a network which, uh, with actually 1 million nodes. So there is a strong uh, complementarity between this metric and the delay, but this metric is very, is much easier to analyze because we can come out with asymptotic expression for this metric, whereas for the delay it would not be as uh, clean. Okay, <laughs> let's first try to find out the first algorithm. The first algorithm is the following. So I'm not reaching the bound, but let's try to see what are the alternatives that I can do. As, as I said, I cannot split the chunk into multiple streams, so basically what I need to do is that I need to transmit the chunks. What is the string diffusion metric if I were going to use a tree as a topology? I have a source, I have N1 and N2, N3, N4, N5, N6 connected by N2. Assume that my capacity is the double of the rate, which is an assumption you can generalize it, and let's see how much time I need to distribute chunks to all this network. Of course, the first thing is that the source gets the chunk. Actually, the source, of course, is recording the chunk. So after some time, I have read this chunk, and I can start delivering. What I can do is that I can deliver, copy the chunk, and deliver in parallel to the two nodes, N1 and N2. How much time I need to do that? Of course, I need a transmission time of the chunk. That is, I have two chunks delivered in parallel, so I have a time unit which represents the transmission time of, the, of two chunks in parallel to the two nodes. So in this amount of time, my distribution matrix says that I could reach two nodes. Okay? Now what happens? Now a new chunk has arrived to me, so I cannot anymore push the previous chunk, but I need to start pushing the next chunk. But luckily, this chunk has been already arrived to those two nodes. They can duplicate this, and they can push it farther. And so what happens is that at the second instant of time, if we define the time as the time needed for one single cycle, I will have reached the two first nodes plus the other four nodes. And so basically, I have that for time two, measured as uh, I said, so the time needed to deliver a chunk from one op, I will have a diffusion metric which is equal to six. That is, in two slots, I reached six elements. And I can go iteratively and so on. So after ta one time unit, of course, I reach two nodes. After two, I reach four new nodes plus the two prior nodes. The third, I get eight new nodes plus the six prior nodes and so on, and I can sum up, and the string diffusion metric is the sum of all the nodes that I've reached in the unit of time. Note that this operation is pipelined. That is, I'm not, as I, as I showed in the example, <coughs> I do it for the chunk, but in parallel I'm pipelining the same distribution for the next chunk. So this is where streaming comes into play. That is, this is the crucial difference with respect to peer-to-peer -peer systems where I can push my chunk forever because I don't have any requirement in order to accommodate the next transmission. Instead here what I can do is that I can streamline this operation and of course reach this diffusion metric for one chunk which will be representative for all the possible chunks. Now, of course this is a normal tree, so I can easily compute the diffusion metric as 2 to the t plus 1 because of course every time I double the amount of chunk, plus, minus 2. So 
if you look uh, at the example, what you get is that if the network has 30 nodes, you can get as a delay that in four cycles, I reach all the possible 30 nodes. Of course, can we, this was a simple example, can we do better than that? Well, <laughs> that's something that is uh, obvious, but it was not so obvious uh, when I started uh, working at this problem, at least to my students, because my students were actually developing a system which was doing uh, that part with some complication. But one obvious point is why I should deliver chunks in parallel, whereas I can do much better locally by doing the following. That is, if I, am, if I get the chunk one and I'm delivering the chunks in parallel, what I know is that the chunk will be received by the other nodes <coughs> in parallel. That is, after a transmission time, I will get the, the next two nodes will receive the chunk. In that time, I will have a new chunk arrived. And so basically what I have is that the two chunks will be replicated only at the end of the first cycle. But it's obvious that if I stream the delivery of the chunks, not in parallel, but first one and then the other, what I have is that I use the same amount of time because instead of using the same bandwidth in parallel, I use double of the bandwidth in sequence. Okay, so I don't split the bandwidth in, in, uh, in bandwidth, but I split the bandwidth in time. First, I deliver a chunk to a node, and then I deliver a chunk to the second node. But what happens here is that I gained half of my time window because now, at the end of this half time window, the node A has already a chunk and it can start transmitting the new chunk. So basically, what I have is that by simply serializing the transmission, I can multiply the diffusion metric. Because, of course, here, in one time unit, before I, I could reach two chunks, two nodes. Here I can reach one, two, and three, as you see in the constructive example. So now, this, was, uh, this is obvious, of course, but this didn't look obvious to my students at the beginning. What are the consequences of that? If you look carefully and you redo the same example as before, you see that the consequences is quite interesting. Because let's redo the example that I did before, but this time considering serialized transmission. I have the source. The source, remember, has the double of the bandwidth of uh, the rate. So basically, in one, in the time in which the next chunk arrives, it can send two chunks. So the same chunk to two nodes. Before it was sending in parallel. Now what I do is that first I send it to node one, and I use half of the time that I had available, and then I can send it to node two. But in this time, C1 can start sending the new chunk to node three. Now, what happens? At the end of this second transmission, the source has to stop with this chunk because a new chunk has arrived. So it has finished its own job. But the other nodes can proceed in that. So, N3, so this node has sent to the first node, it can send to the other. This can send to the first one, and this other can send to one. And so on. So you can go farther, farther, and farther. Now, what you have is that C1 is received by one node after half of the time, by two nodes after one full slot, three, five, eight, 13. Doesn't ring the bell, this kind of sequence. The result, actually, is that the distribution tree, if you just do the very, very 
stupid optimization of moving to serial transmission rather than parallel transmission is not anymore optimal if you use a balanced tree, but the result is an unbalanced tree. Because look at that. Here I used, this is the time window in which I can deliver chunks. So I have a time window. I know that I can make two transmissions there. So node zero transmit first to this node and then to this other node. And at the end, it has to stop. But this node will transmit first to that and then to that and so on. And you see that what you get is that as the time moves, this is the number of nodes that receive these chunks. And what is after half of the time, let's say that we renormalize the time with respect to the chunk transmission at full speed, we will have one. Then here we will have two nodes plus one makes three. Here we will have three new nodes plus three that already received and make six and so on and so on and so on. And this sequence is exactly the number of nodes that you reach at a given amount of time. So it represents a sequence. And what you recognize is that those are Fibonacci numbers. So one, two, three, five, eight, 13. And what you also recognize is that the diffusion metric is not directly related to Fibonacci numbers, but is the sum of Fibonacci numbers. Because here you see that what you get is that this is a sum of Fibonacci numbers. So it's something which is a, a byproduct of the Fibonacci sequence. Okay. <laughs> By this uh, stupid optimization, what you get is that you get a completely different asymptotic. If you plot the time here, and here for the time we use as a time scale half of the slot time, that means the time needed to transmit a single chunk, and we go from 0 to 50, so a very large amount of time. And of course here, to, with reference to the question from Ken, this time is normalized with respect to the chunk size, but basically by changing the size what you can do is that you can distort distorts the actual seconds scale, but from your point of view, if you measure everything in terms of chunk transmission times, you get results which are basically uh, pure from the point of view of, uh, so basically what, what you know is that depending on the size of the chunk, this time scale will enlarge or not, but th those are the asymptotics that you can get. And you see that if we were going to use a balanced tree, so the first idea, which is actually not a bad idea because if you see many proposals in the literature use balance tree and they think that balancing is the best thing, then you get these asymptotics. If instead you use an unbalanced tree as I described before, because necessarily it comes out to be unbalanced, then you get much higher asymptotics and I will quantify it later on. And this was simply done by streaming, uh, by streamlining, sorry, the transmission instead of making it in parallel. Can we do better? The point is, okay, we gain a huge factor. And actually, if you look here, let's say that you have 50 transmission times. In 50 transmission times, look at the scale, at the gain in the delay that you got. This gain is measured in terms of a number of nodes reached. And what you get is that you get two, three orders of magnitude, basically, of improvement. So basically, instead of reaching one, uh, uh, sorry, uh, 5 million nodes, you can reach uh, five, mil 5 billion nodes in the same amount of time by simply doing that optimization. Now the point is that can we do better? Well, you see, what was the problem here? The source started to send the chunk. First to N1, then to N2, but then it, did, it couldn't send anymore the chunk because a new chunk has arrived. 
And so basically what I have is that here, the source sends the chunk to two nodes, but then it needs to deal with the next chunk. If we repeat the process, we get that performance. Now, the source has to do like that, but do the node have to do the same or not? And now the obvious idea is, assume that uh, we succeed in giving each node except the source the possibility to have more time to deliver the same chunk. So before what I had, without the red arrows, that this node could send the chunk to this guy and then to this other guy. As you see, one step, second step, and then it had the new chunk. So it was busy to deliver the new chunk. Assume that it doesn't get the new chunk. And now let's see how do we recover to that. If I do not have a new chunk to deliver, now I can use my remaining time to send the previous chunk to other no to nodes. And what I can do is that I can amplify the connectivity of the tree. For instance, here, what I have, one, two, I have a third transmission opportunity, I can reach that node, and I have a fourth transmission opportunity, and I can reach this, this other node. So you see that by, by simply <laughs> using more time on the same chunk, I can get to a larger number of nodes. The same happens here, one, two, and then now I don't have any more the next chunk, but I can send to a new chunk, to a new node. And so basically I can increase the connectivity of the graph and in turn increase the reachability, the, the diffusion metric. Now, it, it, it is this possible or not? Of course not for the source. The source, the best thing that can, they can do is I receive a chunk, then I transmit to one node, I transmit to another, but then I'm the only one to have the new chunk number two. And here I need necessarily to switch. But the other node can do it. How can they do it? If we can combine trees so that I basically receive only half of the chunk from one direction and I receive the other chunks from another direction and I will be more precise later on. So the idea is that, and this is a very well-known idea in the peer-to-peer, -peer, but not for this reason, but the idea is instead of using a single tree, why don't we try to use a forest of trees which are over uh, in parallel together and let's try to develop chunks according to multiple trees in parallel so that every node has more time to do it. This was typically done in order to increase reliability but we believe that this uh, is actually provides a, perf a significant performance improvement and let's see in details what we can do. This is an example with uh, exactly I think 24 nodes what I can do is, uh, so I, I want to explain on this example and then uh, the mathematics will come, uh, will come. Because of course uh, there, there is some mathematics that we need to, to address. So we have a source. The time is plotted as a, as a vertical line. So every line means that you, this is the transmission time of one chunk at maximum speed. Again the example is that I'm a source, every node has two times the bandwidth, so in every slot can transmit two chunks. This, the source received this chunk number one. Do I have a pointer or, or some? Or otherwise I, I do it like that. So you see here, the source received chunk number one. It transmits chunk number one to node one, then it transmits chunks number one to node two, and then unfortunately it has to stop because it has a new chunk. It cannot delay this new chunk because otherwise we would get 
an extra delay at the source. And so basically the diffusion will be delayed and will be dramatically impaired. So the chunk switch, the source switches immediately to the next chunk, but instead of repeating the same path, it uses a different path. So it takes chunk number two and it transmits to node 13, as an example, and chunk number two later on, it transmits to node 14. What is the requirement here? I didn't needed to have an increase of the bandwidth because the bandwidth is still the double. But what I do is that I use, I have, instead of two children, I have four children. And what I do is that odd chunks are transmitted to node one and two. Even chunks are transmitting to node 13 and 14, just to make some names to the nodes. Now what happens? Node one takes the chunk number one and transmits to node three, node four, node seven, I'm uh, sorry, node 7 and node 13. In order to do that, uh, in order to use all the time needed for uh, node 1 to transmit chunk 1, it uh, does not have to transmit chunk number 2. So it must be a leaf of the other tree. You know where is the trick? The trick is that you have one tree in which node 1 is the, in the backbone of the tree and the other tree in which node 1 is the leaf. So basically it's the last node and it will not have to transmit this chunk anymore. So all this time can be dedicated to propagate one chunk instead of two and actually this permits you to get to a tree with much higher connectivity. And uh, I don't know whether you understood uh, the idea. So the idea is that each node receives all the chunks but it receives the chunks from two trees. In one tree I receive and propagate and I use all my capacity to propagate that chunk. In the other tree, for the example, what I do is that I'm the leaf of the tree and I receive only, and I don't propagate it anymore. So basically, by propagating at the maximum possible capacity one chunk and by not propagating the other, by suitably combining the two trees, I can get maximum possible performance. So it's, it's not like, it sounds very similar almost to the very original example you gave with the race. Yeah. Operation, right? Because in one case you, you're receiving one thing and propagating it. Exactly, exactly. The point is that what we are doing here is basically the discrete time version of what they do on, on the initial example, in which you had actually substreams. There, what you were doing is you were using all your possible resources to transmit one substream and you were receiving the other from other. Here, what you do is that instead, you discretize that and you use all the possible resources to transmit a substream of chunks and then the other. But uh, lucky, I mean, so the example is exactly, I mean, the principle is the same. The practice is quite different because now what we have to do is that we have to first understand whether this is possible and second, we understand what are the performance. Understanding the performance is easier than understanding whether it's possible. <laughs> Because this actually tells you what are the performance that you can get asymptotically. So remember that when you were using one unbalanced tree, you were already gaining three orders of magnitude with respect to the balanced tree. Now, if you use these two unbalanced tree over, overlapped, so if you use instead of one tree, two trees in parallel by using odd and even on one side and the other, then you get another three orders of magnitude at this point. So you see that actually there is a significant performance gain that you can get. The most interesting part... Is it two trees here because... Two because I assumed two. Okay. That is, I assumed... And now I get the general, to the general results. 
What uh, is true because uh, I assumed uh, what are the parameters of the, to, to, to respond to your question, what are the parameters? A first parameter is the amount of bandwidth that you have. Assume in the example that the amount of bandwidth is the double of the bandwidth of the original stream. And then how much children you can have. So it's two because I assume that I have the double of the, man, the bandwidth of the rate and I have uh, the possibility to stay in touch with four possible children. This second parameter is very important because in practice when you are in a real system you'll basically create your own neighbor of uh, peers and actually this will be limited by signaling. That is you, you don't have uh, never in a real system a full mesh connectivity with all the other million of nodes. But you will select a neighbor of possible parents and children. And so basically this number is small. We want, so with those two numbers into play if you set bandwidth equal to two times and four children then this is the maximum performance. Let's uh, be general and see what happens. Now, it can be proven, and this is uh, probably the most interesting part, uh, that uh, you cannot do better than that. That is, this is a bound. That is, you can prove, and this is uh, the statement, you can prove that if you have a given bandwidth u, u times the, stream, the bandwidth of the stream, you have a given number of children, of course you can have even one as a bandwidth. That is, you can, uh, because uh, the same trick you can do it without having the duplicate bandwidth. You can do it with a single amount of bandwidth because you send a chunk, you use all the, your bandwidth to transmit that chunk, then you get the second and you send the second over another tree. So given u, which can be also one or more, given k, the maximum performance for the diffusion metric that you get is given by those formulas, where those formulas are FKDI is the generalized k-step Fibonacci sequence, and I will enter a little bit later on. This is the mathematical definition. The stream diffusion metric is this, and it uses as a byproduct the sum of n Fibonacci sequences. So basically here what you need is that. You need to know what a k-step Fibonacci sequence is. You need to derive what is the sum of Fibonacci sequences, and then you can apply those sums over the bound, where you see k here is the number of children that you have. This sum is done over all possible time, that is you sum the number of nodes that you reached, and here u comes out into play in this sum, that is here 1 to 2, here you sum basically the two contribution of the tree. Every tree brings you this amount of nodes reached. So the idea is, you start from that, every tree reaches a sum of Fibonacci uh, nodes, and then you have two parallel trees that you are using, and so basically you get twice this amount of bandwidth that you can deliver, of which one is delayed, of course, because of co you start using the second tree at the second time. Let's do the numerical example. First of all, I use this example just to remember with the, some number what are those things uh, which are quite interesting. The Fibonacci first step is exactly like the Fibonacci for, because here we are using uh, u equal to 2 and k equal to 4. Fibonacci first step is exactly defined as the Fibonacci sequence, but instead of using the sum of the two previous numbers, it uses the sum of the four previous numbers. So this is a generalization of the original Fibonacci sequence. You remember Fibonacci is the new element is the sum of the previous number and the second previous number. So 1 and 1 are the starting point, then you get 2 because 2 is the same 1 plus 1, then you get 3 because it's the same 2 plus 1, then you get 5 and so on. 
In the k step, you simply sum instead of the previous two, the previous k. So here we say 1 and 1, then we have 2, because this is the sum of 1 plus 1 plus 0 plus 0. Then we have 2 plus 1 plus 1 and makes 4. Then we have 8, which is 4 plus 2 plus 1 plus 1. Then we have 15, because now it's 8 plus 4 plus 2 plus 1 and so on. And this is the k-step Fibonacci. Okay? It's an ordinary sequence. If we take the sum of the Fibonacci, actually numerically here, then we will see the closed forms. What you do is that at the first step, you have one node. At the second step, you reach one new node, but you have the previous node to sum, so you have two. At the third step, you have two, so two new nodes plus two already reached makes four. At the fourth step, you have four plus two plus one plus one. And the other step, you have 16, so eight plus two plus, and you sum basically everything. So the second row is the sum of the Fibonacci sequence, which is a different sequence, which resembles some properties of Fibonacci and we will see later on. But actually this, is a, this was, at least to our best of the knowledge, something in which we couldn't find a handily formula. So we needed to come out with our theorems for that, unfortunately, because we wasted a lot of time to derive the properties of the Fibonacci sum, because we were not interested in the Fibonacci sequence, but rather on the Fibonacci sum. The bound, what does it tell us? The bound tells that uh, basically you need to combine, according to this formula, two Fibonacci sums, one shifted with respect to the other, and I give you immediately the result. So 1, 3, 6, 12, 24. You see 24. 24 was the number used in the previous example. If you go back there, in this example, I could use one, two, three, four, five steps. So in five intervals, I could reach 24 nodes. If you count the number of nodes, they are 24. And actually, that's exactly what the bound says. And then, look at what would have happened if I had used a single tree. Because here, remember that using k equal to 4, I'm using two trees intertwined, so one over the other. But if I was using a single tree, I would have simply the diffusion by scaled by this number. At the beginning, it starts similar. But you, know, you see that asymptotically, it loses quite a lot with respect to the other. So that's what, if I were using only, one, only two nodes, so the single tree as before, now it's what happens, what I gain if I use intertwined trees. Closed form expressions. So up to here, I hope everything is intuitive. Now, there was a bunch of uh, annoying mathematics, but basically, I don't give you the proof because the proof is, uh, is quite, uh, it's quite boring, but uh, I give you only the closed form expressions. Actually, we needed to work quite a lot because, as I said, we didn't have a handy formula. Maybe that uh, people like Ken uh, immediately as a reference for that, but people like myself, which is not a mathematician, we needed to rederive probably obvious results in the Fibonacci stuff. So basically, what we came out with, we came out with some asymptotics in closed form, and basically tell us that the rate diffusion metric is given by the red term, which is actually the Fibonacci constant for the k-step. You see, phi2 is the Fibonacci number, the well-known Fibonacci ratio, the golden ratio is called, right? In, in English, golden ratio. So there are, of course, the same constants for the Fibonacci 3, 4, 5, 6, where this sub-index depends on the depth of the Fibonacci recursion. And what you see is that if you were using 2, you would have get that that asymptotic is 1.6 to the t. 
If you use a 4, then you get 1.92. What is interesting to note is that as long as you increase the number of children that you are managing, your gain is much lower because you see that those Fibonacci values reach asymptotically too for infinite. So basically, you, when you are running, you see, this is a practical implication important because it tells you that if you use only two children, you are quite losing a lot of the performance. But if you use four, you are at 1.92 asymptotically. If you were using 40, you would get very little with respect to that because at most you can reach two. So basically, asymptotically, since the number of children depends on the, on the signaling that you need to, because it's... It's the number of neighbors that you need to maintain. Now, this tells you that in practice, as long as you use a normal number of children, say four, five, six, seven, or eight, then you should be okay. That is, you are already very close to what are the theoretical performance in the optimal case of a full mesh, because here, of course, you would have a full mesh. Then, the yellow parts are constants. The first constant, uh, it basically is... Uh, I mean, uh, there are some terms uh, that uh, I can give you the references for what they are, but it's a constant, so it's not very important for us. And the second part is a, is a very small constant, so basically you can ignore it, that part. If you take n to the infinity, you can prove that this limit works. So this is the very best performance that you could do in the assumption of finished, of finite, uh, of, finite, uh, of infinite connect, uh, of, uh, full mesh. But actually, we were very interested to understand that uh, with a small connectivity, you could basically be very close to the theoretical bound of full connectivity. Now, to prove that, uh, we had to play with Fibonacci, and we needed to rediscover, probably, I think. <laughs> he is the Fibonacci expert. <laughs> anyway, we needed to come up with some relations that basically permitted us to handle this sum of Fibonacci numbers, we rediscovered it. Anyway, now they're written, so it, either if they are new or not, <laughs> we did the work. And basically what we needed to come out is a recursive expression for the Fibonacci series, for the sum of Fibonacci, because for Fibonacci, k-step is known everything, but for the sum, there was very little literature. So we came out with a recursive expression for the Fibonacci expression, which is the first. That if someone happens to have this problem, that can be a useful reference. Then we, can, we could come out with a direct expression that relates the sum directly to the Fibonacci coefficients, so without uh, taking uh, a full sum from 1 to n, but here you see that the sum is from 1 to k. Remember that the Fibonacci sum is defined for, for the sum of all the Fibonacci terms. So it's basically an infinite sum. I mean, as long as n grows, the sum is, uh, is large. Here instead we could come out with the expression that basically refers to a sum of k terms of Fibonacci, which is a second property. Then we came out with the Binet expression, Binet-like expression, you, you know that for Fibonacci sequence there is the Binet form that tells you how this sequence evolves in terms of exponential, so in terms of, uh, of this value to the n. Actually, we came out with a Binet-like expression exact for the Fibonacci sum, which is this, and typically these, those are complex numbers because those are roots of uh, of a, of a polynomial, and here what you do is typically, since the, the complex root have modulus smaller than one and vanish, what you are interested in is for large n only on the real part, which is the only, uh, the only value whose modulus is uh, greater than one, and so this is the approximation that you actually use in practice. And this is basically, you see, the k formula that then we used in the bound, just in case you happen to have Fibonacci into play. Okay. I already commented that because I basically said, 
What teaches us this kind of theory? It tells us, first, we know what are the asymptotics, and we know that the asymptotic depends on the bandwidth and on the number of children. But we also know that the number of children that I need to maintain can be small. Small means four, five, six, because the asymptotic rapidly converges to two. <laughs> and those are practical implications. So, you see, all this kind of theory is not by itself useful, because someone could say, and actually the first version of the paper was rejected for that, because we didn't explain that we didn't want to actually construct those trees. Because someone could say, but you are constructing some trees, very complex, how can you do it? No, we did not want to construct any tree. Ideally, if you construct this tree, you can get that performance. Well, what we wanted to do is that we wanted to learn what we could do at best and then use this information to construct a system which is not based on tree, as we did at the very last. I don't know how much time I have, but here there is, okay, those are basically the comparison of what you can do, as you see, what the best thing that you can do is, uh, is provided by the multiple trees used in parallel and sequentially transmitting uh, the information. So this is the maximum thing that you can do. This is the maximum results that you could get with the full mesh connectivity. So you see that the difference, even with the case of four, is quite uh, small because you see this is two trees and this is infinite trees, basically. So you don't gain much asymptotically. Now, sorry, I'm uh, start to get too excited. Actually, we wasted a lot of time to prove uh, something that uh, is not as straightforward as, as I sold up to now. <coughs> if you look more carefully here, Here I gave you an example of the two trees with all the names of the nodes on top of that. That is, I constructed two trees which reach the bound for 24 nodes and for two trees. But who can tell you as in general that this bound can be reached for any kind of k and any number of nodes? That is, can we really construct this example in general? Actually, this problem, again, probably it's well known, but we didn't have a clue, and uh, this problem came out to be much, much harder than what we thought at the beginning. The point is that there is a very easy result in ordinary trees that tell you that this happens actually in the normal trees. That is, if you take two trees which are balanced, so if you take balanced trees, and you count the number of nodes that are let's use the term backbone nodes, that is, uh, they are used as relays to the, with respect to the others, and you count the number of uh, leaves, what you know is that here you, get, you can count seven backbone nodes and eight leaves, okay? So the idea is that if you need to map one tree over the other, you use seven nodes for backbone, you use seven leaves for the backbone of the other, and you know that the mapping is trivial. Because this result tells you that uh, the number of leaves is uh, one plus the number of backbone nodes. So basically, you can always guarantee the mapping between. So, in our terminology, you can always intertwine two balanced trees. And actually, this doesn't uh, require that the trees are binary, because of course the law is general. 
If you do like that, here we need to interwind t three trees, but we know from the general results that the number of leaves is one plus n minus one, so two times the number of interior nodes. Here, for instance, you have nine leaves, four interior nodes, so four dot two makes eight, and you can always intertwine three balanced trees because the nine leaves can be used as one, four can be used as a backbone for the other three, and the other four for as a backbone, and one node is idle. Okay, so. This is very well known in balanced trees. But our trees came out to be a little bit more strange. Because when you come out with the unbalanced trees, which, as I said, they are the optimal case, now you don't have any more this load that helps you. Because, for instance, look at this. Ah, sorry, this is the case of balanced trees. So I have this tree uses n1, n2, n3, and n5, n6, n7 which are used by the other trees. So this is the normal case. But if you look at uh, our case, first uh, assume that you have uh, seven nodes. You deploy the first three. So node zero gives to one, then to two, and then to three, unbalanced. Then four, then five, six, and seven. What you have here is that here you have one, two, three, and four that are intermediaries. Five, six, and seven that are leaves. So you have less leaves than intermediaries. How can you match the two? In the other case, I can put the three leaves as node 5, node 6, and node 7. Those three, I can put it as leaves, but the problem is what I put there. That is, as you see, I don't have any more handy way to map one tree over the other, because unfortunately, the number of leaves is lower than what I need. And I need to solve this problem. Of course, this seems to be possible. Because uh, let's take this example. If you look more careful to this example, the source gives uh, the data to node 1. Node 1 sends the data. The, uh, this, by the way, is for the case of bandwidth equal to 1, so the very minimum, uh, the, the most complex case, that is the lowest possible amount of band. 1 needs to deliver the chunk to two other nodes, and then we receive the third chunk, because basically the source sends a chunk to one, then a chunk to another, and then a new chunk to me. So basically I have two times to deliver my node. And I can give two, two, and three. So one is used full time to propagate the chunk. Two again is used full time. But three and four I use 50% of the time. You see, here I have a more fancy way to map the tree. Before, I had either that a tree, a node is a backbone, full, or it's a, it's a, sleeve, it's a leaf and doesn't do anything. Here instead I have two nodes, which are the three and four, which are actually delivering chunks only to one of the two possible children. So the idea is that those fuzzy nodes should be the ones that actually get mapped each other. If you look <coughs> here, in fact, this is the tree constructed. This is for one chunk. This is for the second chunk. This is for the third chunk. I need to construct the other tree. What I can do? <coughs> For sure, uh, the first node must be a leaf here because it needs to propagate the chunk to two. So five, I can put it there. Six, I can put it there. But if I put uh, later on node three and four as uh, in this position, I know that at a given time, four is propagating chunk number one to node seven, and then four is propagating chunk number two to node seven. So basically, four belongs to both trees, but it uses half of its time over one tree and the other half on the other tree. And so basically, you can actually construct very easily on this example the two trees. But can you do it in general? 
And actually, those are details uh, that show the construction. Well, in general, it comes out that uh, we proved, uh, but uh, in a way that, uh, that I don't like at all, we proved that given any k, we can come out with a constructed rule that permits you to give the labels to the trees. But I think that there should be some more general results here that I probably can and, and you know, I mean, some mathematician knows. That some general result that tells you that this mapping is feasible. Actually, we couldn't come out with anything else than a, a constructive proof in which we set a k and any k, so arbitrary one, and we have an algorithm which is based on modular arithmetic set that can derive actually the, the mapping, one possible mapping. So if we derive one mapping, then we know that at least one construction there is. But we don't like the proof because it's long, cumbersome, but at least we showed that actually this kind of problem, that is the problem of constructing, combining together unbalanced trees can be solved. So basically, the bound that we reached is always attainable, and that's an important result, in our opinion. Okay, now I close because uh, I have only a few slides. How did we map all this theory into practice? As I said, this is an important point. We didn't want to sell the fact that you should use those trees, right? Because we don't want system which use trees and construct trees, because they would be very hard to manage in practice. But we actually used all those lessons learned from our analysis in order to construct a distribution algorithm, which is completely data-centric, so moves and based on local decision, which tries to do what the theory suggests. And the idea at this point was easy, because now we finally had some background that, that could guide us. The theory, what taught us the most general concepts? First is, whenever you have to transmit, transmit in series, not transmit in parallel. And as an, ele an, an elementary thing like that is not in some systems. That is, some systems still transmit in parallel. Why? I mean, the theory tells us you reduce delay if you transmit serially. So don't use parallel transmission, but use serial transmission. And this is first. And then spread the chunk over a forest of trees. Don't stick to a single tree, but try to do a forest of trees. Then, of course, you need to match those. But let's, let's make this do by a, by a mechanism that tries to mimic that. So from those two principles, what we did was we designed a mechanism which is completely distributed, tries to mimic those two principles, but in a distributed fashion, and does not require to build and manage trees. But it actually uses only data centric decision, and actually should be, of course, resistant to the charm. And the idea was easy, because basically what we did was we divided all the possible chunks into groups. Let's say we colored the chunk. So chunk number one is of color, of color red, chunk number two is of color green, chunk number three is red, chunk number four is green. So basically we created a subdivision of chunks into group where some tag tells in which part of the tree you should belong. Then we created some local signaling decision that permits every node to decide where to whether to belong to one group or another based on what they received in a fully distributed manner. And we run, basically those are now heuristics, so I don't enter into the, the details. And also that was not my part of the job. That is, I, tip I did the math, then the other people did the, did the actual systems, so I didn't, I did only the funny part. But the point is that you can try to construct a system in which you don't have trees, but you have colors associated to the, 
to the segments that you deliver, and you try to use different policies according to the type of chunks that you have. If you have an odd chunk, you can push it. If you, can, if you have an even chunk, then you can keep it. So the idea is, uh, for instance, here, if I, re if I have some chunks to deliver, the first thing is that I try to deliver all the chunks from a group. That is, I try to behave like I have the, the backbone for one of the three, and I try to deliver only if I have spare time the remaining chunks. That is, I try to behave like a leaf for the others. And we run this system, of course, uh, with all more complex heuristics that I'm not presenting. And we saw the performance, which we could now compare with uh, the ideal performance that we could have had. So this is the case of a simulation uh, result for a net network of about 10,000 nodes. And as you see, this is the delay in seconds of the system. And this is uh, what we got according to the different parameters. Two groups was that, three groups, so three trees was that, four trees was that. You see that as the number of uh, groups comes to be relatively, no, no, not very large, but even uh, four groups, I can attain almost ideal performance. Of course, except the final part, because there we needed to reach all the possible nodes in the network, and so this is the cumulative probability of reaching all the possible nodes in the network. Okay, uh, I can skip that because it basically repeats the other. The important thing is that we could prove also that now with the real churn model in the network, and actually this network is about 20,000 nodes simulation, we actually try to push to bigger, bigger values. But in this case, what you can see is that even if you have a churn, actually, of course, you lose performance. But the system is still robust. That is, we are not promoting trees, but we are running a data-centric approach in which, of course, by construction, it's compatible with churn. If a node switch off and one of your children switch off, you try to contact some random new, new peer, and you can now use it as a new relay and so on. And here, the results tells that uh, without the churn, of course, you could achieve this kind of performance. But with the churn, what you lose is that you lose uh, some delay, but not so much. And actually, I didn't uh, bother to compare with the, and that's my last slide. But we also did uh, a comparison I didn't, uh, with other mechanisms. So, for instance, that's probably very interesting because uh, this shows that our algorithm that is uh, not particularly brilliant, because I don't think that our heuristics are very brilliant, but at least they are strongly motivated by some theoretical insights, give a performance which are very different from this was a practical system that was trying to, to mimic the remaining system, so using stripes, dividing, and you see that the delay performance that they were getting, its orders, it's very large with respect to our delay performance. And I, we believe that those systems were designed like that with su such a poor performance because it was not very clearly understood what was, what was the cause of the delay in those networks. So now I think I can conclude. First of all, if someone is interested, there are those papers, basically the two, 
the two archival works are one technical report that is online uh, in which uh, we try to put everything and then there is a, a journal version of this work that basically documents all this, uh, this part. And then for the practical parts, instead much more details are presented. We develop a, a simulator, if uh, you are interested, this is uh, free. So if you, we actually developed it to, to try to scale uh, up to 100,000 nodes or more, which is a reasonable number because one of the problems of peer-to-peer -peer system is that you need in order to be credible, you need to simulate, in theory, millions of nodes. But one of the problems that we faced is that if we were, you were going to use uh, NS2, for instance, you could simulate 100 nodes, which is uh, not nearly uh, the case for a peer-to-peer -peer network. And, uh, we were already bothered of the fact that we were just simulating 10 or 20,000 nodes in practice. But we actually, we tried to push the simulator. For simple argument, it can push over uh, 100,000, but it's there, so if someone is interested, uh, of course, I didn't, de I, mean, I didn't develop it, I just uh, followed it, but uh, other people developed it. And then those are the details of the practical systems.